One, two, three. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Turn to the person next to you and say, rejoice. Hey, nice. Um, when we open up our Bibles, this is my housemate's Bible, and we turn to Genesis, the very first thing we read is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've been um, working with my kids at school over the last few weeks on the solar system. So I thought I'd start tonight by sharing some fun facts with you. So our star, the sun, is massive compared to the size of Earth. And about a million, not quite, but somewhere around a million Earths could fit inside the sun. And our galaxy, the Milky Way, which includes our solar system, has at least 400 billion stars like our sun. So our entire solar system is one 400 billionth of our galaxy. I hope I said that right. Our sun can't be seen. If you look at sort of the Milky Way from afar, you can't even see the sun. And the known universe, we still haven't discovered all of the universe yet, but the known universe has 100 billion galaxies. So our galaxy is one 100 billionth of the universe. Are you feeling small yet? The estimated number of stars in the known universe is approximately 20 billion trillion, which is a lot. So if we... I don't even want to try and explain it. So if we were to fit, in, fit ourselves on Earth into this equation, we can estimate that Earth would be one one millionth of that, which would make our share of the universe to be 0.000000. There's 27 zeros. I don't want to read them all out. 5%. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Um, I don't know if you, like me, sometimes have these moments where you just find yourself in awe of God. You know, it might be in the middle of nowhere on a clear night and you look up at the sky and you think, wow, God, you're so amazing. Or it might be staring out at an ocean. I know that does it for me. I wrote the beach in my balloon today. Um, just in awe of God. And this God, this creator of the heavens, the one who created our universe, um, created us and created you, and created me, and wants to be in relationship with us. So, how does that lead us to joy? Can anyone remember this? Yeah. few people. So, I, was, um, I laughed a little when I found out my topic for tonight, because one of the very first messages that I ever remember Pastor Sam preaching, and was it at a Sunday service, or was it at a breathe? You can't remember? No one knows. Um, was about Stan's joy boat. So you're all looking at me going, what are you talking about, Carmel? Few people remember. Um, and basically, his message was, don't be a joy sponge. Don't suck up other people's joy. Um, so I thought that I'd just sit this here tonight as I speak, just as a little honouring moment to Pastor Sam. So the question that I have for you tonight is, will you choose joy? Well, what is joy? Thank you for asking. Um, we talk a lot here at Door of Hope how we live in a fragile and uncertain world. And you only need to go outside or you only need to talk to the person next to you or turn on the news to realise that um, fragility and uncertainness is everywhere we look. Um, 
<clears throat> and we live in a broken world and stuff is messy and we muck up all the time. And Rick Warren, who is an author and a um, teacher in the States, he describes joy like this. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. The determined choice to praise God in every situation. I want to talk a little bit tonight about choices. Because in the midst of this fragile and uncertain world, we can be certain that Jesus' kingdom is one free of judgment, full of hope and restoration and full of joy. But the choice is up to us to choose joy. And ultimately, by choosing joy, we're choosing Jesus. So we've been looking at the book of Luke over the last few weeks, and this is part three of our Certainty series. And we're going to pick up the story tonight in chapter five and starting at verse 27. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. The beginning of those verses start with two words and the two words are after this. So let's remind ourselves what's just happened. Jesus has called his first disciples. He's gone up to the lake, said, hey guys, put your nets back in. They're like, no way, Jesus, you're crazy. We've caught all the fish we can catch today. They put their nets back in caught bucket loads of fish, pulled their boats up onto the sand and left everything and followed him. <clears throat> Jesus has healed a man with leprosy and crowds of people were coming to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. He's just forgiven and healed a paralyzed man. You might remember the story last week. They lowered him through the roof. So momentum is building. Jesus is starting to make waves and people are willing to get up leave everything and follow him. And we're introduced to this character in these first couple of verses called Levi, a tax collector. Are there any people who work for the tax office here? No, that's good. Uh, so tax collectors were severely disliked. The Jews did not like tax collectors, not only because they got rich by charging random amounts of money above what people officially had to pay, but also because they worked for a pagan and oppressive regime, basically. And they were unclean in the eyes of religious purists. And no respectable teacher would ever be seen in their company. And yet here we have Jesus seeing this tax collector, telling him to get up and follow him. So these guys weren't anyone's favourite people. And I tried to think of like a modern day example, like, oh, who would our tax collectors be today? But I, didn't, I sort of didn't want to make any broad generalisations or offend anyone, so I just left it at tax collectors are severely disliked. And Jesus is asking him to leave his booth and follow him. Imagine if someone walked into your workplace this morning and said, come, follow me. What would you, I'd probably call the police. I don't know about you, it'd be a bit weird. But um, I, you know, I don't know this, but we can probably safely say that Levi had started hearing stories about Jesus and we know that Levi is severely disliked so I don't think Levi has many friends and he might have heard on the grapevine you know Jesus was coming into town Jesus has been doing all of this stuff and then he's got this moment where Jesus walks up to him it's like being picked first for the basketball team at school 
walks up to him and says, Levi, come and follow me. It's like all of his Christmases had come at once. So Levi gets really excited and he throws a party. And that's where we keep reading. It says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Who loves sharing a meal with their friends? Good. You're going to help prove my point. So um, it's probably one of my favourite times. Next to the beach, that would be the next um, thing that brings me the most joy, especially when you're sharing a meal with friends and no one needs to rush off and get somewhere else and everyone's just there and they're in the moment and there are no phones on the table and you're just chatting and you get a chance to really catch up and really have meaningful conversations with other people. And sharing a meal in Jesus' time was an important mark of social identification. So Levi's invited all of his mates around. They're all tax collectors as well. They're all sinners as well. They're the only people who can talk to each other because everybody else ignores them. And then we come to the Pharisees. These guys were like the religious people of the day. And they knew the law. They knew the right things to say and the right things to do. But what they weren't quite getting is that Jesus was starting to show them a new way another way to live. And because maintaining purity was such a central concern of these guys, to enter a tax collector's house and to hang out with tax collectors was like a formal breach of their purity laws. And um, certainly no respectable religious teacher would mix with with people. Imagine if you went to a church uh, and it was run by religious Pharisees. So for starters, they never talk to you, Uh, they shun you, you know, they ignore you, they ignore your needs, they don't want anything to do with you. If they talk to you or touch you, then they become unclean, stuff gets messy for them. So they come, they deliver their message, and then they go home. And you're left sort of like, oh, what's the point? I can't imagine that that's a church that you would want to return to. Jesus answered them and said, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is a really powerful reminder of Jesus' purpose, to bring spiritual salvation to us, to the unlovable, to the outcast, to the sinner, to the unclean. So we could choose joy, or we could choose religion. And Jesus had a lot to say about these religious Pharisees. You know, you could... We could choose to spend our days being religiously clean and pure and ticking religious boxes and doing all the right things and looking spiritual. I don't know about you, but my my skin, something happens to my skin when someone calls me religious. Does that happen to anyone else? I meet um, with people, I get to marry people like officiate their wedding. I don't marry lots of people, that'd be weird. Um, and one of the, honestly, every single time I meet with a new couple that I don't know and, you know, they've just sort of found me on Facebook, one of the first things that they say is, oh, we're not religious. I'm like, great, me neither. Awesome. Um, but it just, that word religion. I, I, mm. So Jesus says a lot about these Pharisees. We look in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you but not what they do. 
for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And in Luke 18, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. God, maybe that's what his voice sounds like. I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus has a higher calling for us, higher than doing the right things to be seen by others, higher than preaching but not practicing. He's got a kingdom free of judgment and full of joy waiting for us, but we need to choose it. So keep reading our story in Luke from uh, verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the, the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And I've just put a little note in there. Um, this is like an implication. The Pharisees are saying, John the Baptist and us, we're much more spiritual than you, Jesus. Much more spiritual than you. You don't know what's going on. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment. And the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now, we might not use wineskins today. Um, They look really weird if you Google an image of a wineskin. But essentially, what Jesus is saying is that it's easier for us to fall back into the old and to fall back into the familiar, and it's more comfortable, and we can justify that, rather than to launch out into a life that's not guided by laws and regulations, but it's led by the voice of the Spirit of God. So we can choose joy, or we can choose our old wineskins and the comfortable way of doing things. See, Jesus is quite insistent that his kingdom shouldn't be governed by man-made laws and religion, but it needs to be free to work its power. And the new wine, the new way of doing things, the new life might not be as smooth to the tongue as the old wine. It might not be as finely aged as old wine. It might be a bit sharp, might be a bit unrefined, but it's alive. Don't fall over, Joy Sponge. Um, and you can't contain it in old structures. So the new wine is representing this gospel message and those who embrace it. And we can't be confined in old structures of religion. We need to choose joy. 
because we could spend our days choosing the familiar and we could spend our days doing the things that are easy, doing the things that are smooth to the tongue, things that we're comfortable with, you know, slip back into those old habits. This choice is safe. It's comfortable. We're not really accountable for anything. And, um, you know, sometimes we slip into this way of living without even realising that we've done it. But when we let Jesus in, when we surrender to him, things start changing and he offers us something new and alive that can't be contained in these old structures or these old mindsets or these old ways of doing things. We read in Galatians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So this story in Luke reminds us that a new day has come. See, the Pharisees were attempting to uphold a law that was becoming incredibly dated and impossible to uphold. Now, don't get me wrong, there was a purpose for the law. God gave us the law in the Old Testament to mend the rift that had occurred between him and humankind. And it was a way to heal that relationship that existed between us. But Jesus was here now, and there's another way. And um, I'd encourage you to get online and listen to this morning's message. Tony spoke um, beautifully about this, and she put it like this. God wants relationship with us. He would rather cope with a bit of ugly. I can be pretty ugly sometimes. And get you rather than all of the boxes of life filled in perfectly. He wants you to choose him, and he wants us to choose joy. So we can choose religion, we can choose old wineskins and old ways of doing things, or we can embrace this unspeakable joy that God has for us. And to embrace the joy is to embrace Jesus. The determined choice to praise God in every situation. I think sometimes we can get joy confused with happiness. You know, like you look at someone walking down the street and they might be a bit solemn and, oh, they're not very happy and blah, 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 blah. But joy is so much deeper than happiness. Happiness is usually affected by what goes on in the world around us. You know, those external things that are going on. I'm happy when you know, I get all green lights to work on the way in the morning and I'm happy when my coffee was delicious and I'm happy when my bird wakes up, my housemate, because it's really funny. And I'm, I'm happy when lots of these things happen, but I can be happy and not joyful if I haven't made this decision to praise God in every situation because my happiness can be stripped away from me in the instant as soon as something annoying happens at work or as soon as someone says something that isn't expected or as soon as what I thought and what I had planned was going to happen falls apart. But if I've made the choice to praise God in every situation, then my joy is unshakable and God wants us to have an unshakable joy. So as we wrap up tonight, I would love to invite you to stand and um, you can do that now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just want to finish by reading this scripture over us, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll move into the last couple of songs tonight. The scripture's in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. And if you feel comfortable tonight, I'd love for you just to close your eyes. You might want to 
hold out your hands and I pray that as I read this this evening that God's spirit would speak into your spirit and that he would give you uh, the confidence to have an unshakable joy in him. Starts out like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I want to encourage you tonight that if you haven't experienced the inexpressible joy that Jesus offers you, that it's right there waiting and it's just a choice away. So I pray that you wouldn't leave this evening without having seen a glimpse of God's inexpressible joy. And all you've got to do is ask him. It's really simple. God, I choose to praise you in every circumstance. I choose to make a decision to praise you in every circumstance. Father, we thank you for your inexpressible joy that is available to us. God, we thank you that you have created us all individually, that you've knit us together in our mother's womb, that you knew us before you created the heavens and the earth. And what an incredible creation it is, God. And it blows my mind to think that you care for me that you care for us and that you want to have relationship with us. So, Father, I pray for each one in this room tonight. Would our hearts be open? Would our spirits be opened to what you want to say and what you want to do in us? Lord, I pray for people who are thrown about in the breeze by circumstances beyond their control. Lord, I pray that they tonight would choose to praise you regardless of circumstance. May we choose joy tonight. Father, we choose you tonight. We choose your inexpressible joy and we stand now and we offer up our praises to you for all that you have done, God, and for all that you will continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen.